0: Amen. He's the only one who can. (laughs) Well, happy Mother's Day. And I know, uh, you know, I just want to say we love you, Mom. Um, And I believe that most people uh, have good mothers who who do their very best to to take care of their young ones. You know, being a mom can't be an easy job. And uh, no mother is perfect. But if it was going to be easy... They never should have started with the word labor. You know, while our culture spins out of control and the family unit breaks down, the Bible lifts up the family and it exalts the role of women uh, in the home and in the family. You know, being a mother, I would say, is is ministry. Uh, It's definitely a ministry, it's a ministry of teaching. And preparing children to follow God's pathways. And I think that's huge because they're, they're being an example of the love of God in the home. And those that, that take that job seriously, I mean, it is, it is a, a, a monumental ministry. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that, that children really do um, brighten the household. That's because they never turn any of the lights off the uh, Dad, we know don 't we uh, the, the joy of motherhood is when when mothers experience that that time of night when all the kids are tucked into bed and they 're asleep well that 's the joy of motherhood. Um, but culture, you know, in many ways, our culture is kind of like water, and uh, we usually don 't notice uh, that our our normal water supply uh, has any taste until we drink travel somewhere and drink water from someplace else. I mean, it could be someplace local that we go and, 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 you know, and then we taste the water there and it's like, wow, it kind of tastes, we say, funny. Or we might even say it tastes bad because it's not what we're used to. And when we get a taste of, from our scripture passage today, when we get a taste of these imperatives if you will these commands that that paul gives us the apostle paul on family living from a a time two thousand years ago it kind of our initial reaction may be that they taste funny when we read these when we see these commands about family living about living out the christian life it might be like man i don't know that sounds strange that tastes funny um or maybe we even say, that's, that's bad. But we as Christians have been chosen. We've been chosen in Jesus Christ, who is the chosen one. And like Christ, we have been chosen to benefit the world whose welfare we serve. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to show the world something different. Something that they don't see normally. See, the way that we live, the way that you and the way that I live comes as a result of what we believe. Because what we believe is the way we will, will respond. What, the way we believe about something, about God, about uh, this world, about others, is the way that we will live. Because Christian living follows Christian doctrine. One of the reasons that we look to God's word And I believe every word in this book. I believe that it was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit who gave it to, to men to write down. And in that it was God's word to us. It's his manual for us. And so when we look at God's word, we have to look at God's word understanding that it is God's love letter to us. And it's the operational manual for the human experience. It helps us understand what God's plan is for each one of us. Now, Christian living follows Christian doctrine. And having completed his case, as you, if you were with us the last couple of weeks, the Apostle Paul makes his case on how supreme, how sufficient Jesus Christ is in his all sufficiency, in how he paid our debt. And how he wiped that away and how he bled out on the cross for you and for me so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I think that's huge because we see this after Paul completes his case on the person and work of Christ. He spells out what it means. This is really where the tire meets the road. He spells out what it means in terms of our relationships. And this is big stuff. Because I want to tell you, relationships, I don't care where they're at, they're messy. Even in the best relationships, they're messy. And part of the reason is because we're all broken. We all are broken. And we come into this world broken, and we need to be made whole by the blood of Jesus Christ. But relationships are messy, and so Paul spelled out what it means in terms of our relationships to live like Christ. And he had lots to say about putting our faith into practice. And in this uh, letter to the Colossian church, Paul outlines an uncompromising, but a crystal clear statement of ethical demands on Christianity. We're going to look at some of those imperatives. You can call them commands. And in most of those imperatives in this passage, they are written in the present imperative sense And and what that means is it's continual action. It goes on. It's not just a one-time thing. When he talks about kindness, he's not saying just be kind one time. He's talking about make that your continual attitude. So as we read this, we're going to camp out in Colossians 3. And if you have your scripture and want to open up to Colossians 3, I may end up reading this whole chapter before I'm done. So hang in there. Um, But I know that uh, there's a lot in here. And hopefully over the next three or four weeks, we're going to be able to unpack uh, parts of that along the way. But um, let's uh, just leave it open, but let's read in in Colossians, um, and I'm just going to read a section at a time here. Colossians 3, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. where Christ is seated where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you, will, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Heavenly Father, I just ask that even now that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, we are here. You woke us up. You brought us to this place. So, Father, I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts and our lives. Father, that it would penetrate our minds, that, Father, we would hear the truth. We are so filled with lies, with our society and, and in all the things that we hear every single day But, Father, we know that you are pure, that you are truth. And so, Father, we desire the truth of your word. Father, help us to digest it. Help us to benefit from it so that we could live in your wisdom and not in the wisdom of the world. Thank you, Father, for your great love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, I submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ is the transforming power in our lives. If you want your life to be different, if you want your life to be changed, which is the meaning of transformed, if you want your life to be transformed into something different from what it is in the natural state, then it's going to be because Jesus Christ transformed it. See, it takes Jesus Christ. He is the one. Paul described a life that is so new So amazing that the only metaphor he can find to describe it adequately was moving from death, being a dead person, into a resurrected life. Someone who was dead in their sins and trespasses to now they have been made new. They have been made alive. I mean, what a a great picture he gives us that something radical takes place when Christ when Jesus Christ comes into your heart and mind, something radical, something down at the root of who we are takes place. It's a, it's a monumental change. But in order for Christ to transform people, he must transform a person. He always does it one person at a time, he doesn't do it in mass. He transforms us one person at a time, but what he can do for one, he can do for all. See, this new life that I'm talking about means a new lifestyle. When we have new life in him, it means a new lifestyle. See, as Jesus Christ transforms human lives, we become aware As he begins to transform your life, we become aware that there are things that we do, there are actions we have, there are attitudes that must be changed, that somehow we must put those things to death. Now follow with me, verse 5. He writes this, he says, Therefore, because you've been made alive, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, Impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to feel the wrath of Almighty God. If he can speak this all into being, he ain't going to have a problem raining down his wrath. Going on there, it says, And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put it all aside. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised by barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So this new life means that we have a new lifestyle. And Paul cataloged the things that need to be put to death. But notice also, he moved quickly to tell us the good qualities that we must acquire. Look at verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, I like that. I like being chosen. Chosen by God. As those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, this is the result leading to, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness to God to in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him To God the Father. See, as Christ transforms our lives, notice this our other relationships will be transformed also. They're gonna be enormously affected. I mean, Christ is the transforming power in our family relationships. We're celebrating Mother's Day, that means there are children involved. You have spouses involved. You have all of these family relationships. And Jesus Christ is the transforming power in family relationships. Look at verse 18. He says, "'Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord.'" "'Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them.'" "'Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord.'" And fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. See, new life means a new lifestyle. And the Apostle Paul says it begins at home. It begins in the home. Now, I make one apology this morning. Time won't allow me to hit on everything, every marriage and family relationship. But understand, over the next several weeks, we'll be unpacking those. You remember, well, you may not remember, some of you aren't that old, but in 1975, Paul Simon wrote a song called 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And it was after his divorce from his first wife, Peggy Harper. And he wrote it to take kind of a humorous look, if you will, at at ways to end a relationship. You slip out the back, Jack. Make a new stand plan. You probably all know these. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. Fifty ways to leave your lover. But I would say there's even more than 50 ways to do that. But as a Christian, only, we only need one reason to stay with our lover And that is the comparison between Christ and the church. Between Jesus Christ and his church. We need to understand that. That there's one reason why we stay together. And that is because of the relationship that Christ has with the church. Obviously, hopefully there's more reasons than just one. But one reason is all that we should need. To make that commitment and to keep that commitment. See, Paul commanded that wives be subject, be submissive. But he also commanded the husbands to love. See, there's no fear in this kind of mutual relationship. Understand, these are imperatives that Paul is giving. They're commands. He's not saying these are suggestions. He's saying these are commands that are in the the, the present Tense meaning they continue on. These are attitudes that are continuing on to, to be submissive and to love. And voluntary submission of wife to husband and husband to wife is essential for a happy marriage. You see, understand that Christianity Christianity introduced the radical idea of marriage involving responsibility of both the husband and the wife. That the husband is also accountable. In verse 18 he says, Wives, be subject to your husband. As is fitting in the Lord. I mean, this is one of those things when we talk about submit. (laughs) We don't like to submit. But it's the same type of word that we talk in relation to Jesus Christ. When I submit my will when I submit my life to Jesus Christ because He is the leader. Jesus Christ is my master. He's the one in charge and so I willingly submit to Him. I'm not the boss. This isn't my church. It's His church. And I serve at His bidding. And one day He may say, Ridge, you're done and you know what it's his church but it's the same type of submission that we're talking about here and and notice that when paul writes this he says wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the lord it's an expression of necessity of obligation of of duty between you and god (laughs) not between you and your husband you're submitting to the lord Because he says, as fitting in the Lord. Look, let's not be naive to think that marriage is a place that is unaffected by the fall. We see in fairy tales where they go off and they live happily forever. You know, we, we recognize that may or may not be the truth. But the deepest struggles in life can and will occur in the most primary relationship that was affected by the fall. And that is... The marriage between a a man and a woman. See, our society, they put forth desperate housewives. But God calls us to be devoted housewives. You see, that's what he's calling for is devotion. So ladies, I just want to encourage you. Enable and encourage your husband's leadership in the home. Enable and encourage. Think about this. How you look at your husband will determine how you live with your husband. I mean, respecting and submitting reflects how you look at him. I mean, here's an example Do you look at your husband as someone who God has placed in your life as the leader of your family? That you're going to respect and that you're going to follow regardless or even in spite of all of his faults? Because I have plenty. Or do you look at your husband and say to him, I will respect you and I will follow you if I think you deserve it. Or if you meet certain conditions. Because that is not part of God's plan. Someone has to be the leader. And God has put men in leadership in the home. I'm not chauvinistic. I'm telling you what God's word says. The women are to be submissive in that. And men, you are to love. This verb in the present imperative calls for a continual attitude of love and a positive expression. Men, you are to love your wives spiritually, you're to love your wives sacrificially. That means you're not the king when you come home, that means she's the queen. When you love sacrificially and with sensitivity. You know, this kind of agape love that is mentioned here, this unconditional love never occurred in secular households. It was something exclusively for the Christian home. You see, God is elevating family, God is elevating the the relationship of the husband and the wife, and the, the men are to unconditionally love their wives. This is a distinctive Christian element. You're not going to find this out in the world. See, it's not a love that is merely feeling, but it's fact. It's not emotion, but it's devotion. Not an attitude, but it's action. Not sentiment, but it's sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 13 outlines a whole lot about this love. And we need to read up on that, guys. You know, sometimes men have viciously, meant to viciously attack their wives sometimes and they say something something like, I have never loved you. But if Jesus called us to love the unlovable, if Jesus called us even to love our enemies, then the man who says I never loved you is confessing that he has never acted like a Christian. Because this is what we are called to do. We're called to love one another. And men, don't be bitter. Don't be sharp. Don't be harsh. I mean, the the perpetual irritation, the the fault finding, the, the critical spirit that we can have. See, it sounds to me like it might be highly possible for men to become bitter or harsh since we're warned against it here. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You know, Gary Thomas, in his book, Sacred Marriage, great book, by the way, he says, if you don't love properly, the marriage relationship can become an irritant. If you can't respect this spouse because she is prone to certain weaknesses, you will never be able to respect any spouse. See, guys, we have to remember this. I must die to what I want from her so I can center On what God wants from me. I must forget about my expectations of her so I can focus on what God's expectations are for me. We have a responsibility in this. Marriage is a portrait of His love for His glory. (laughs) You know, one one of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full length mirror called Your Spouse. Had there been a card attached to it, it would have said this. It would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. You know, the things that we see in our spouse, I mean, Helen Rowland, she wrote this. She said, marriage is the operation by which a woman's vanity and a man's egotism are extracted without anesthetic." Also in Sacred Marriage, Gary Thomas, he says this. He says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy and not to make us happy? If you want to be free to serve Jesus, that's, there's no question, stay single. Marriage takes a lot of time. But if you want to become more like Jesus, I can't imagine a better thing to do than to get married. Because being married forces you to face some of those character issues that you would never have to face otherwise. See, it looks beyond marriage, that spiritual growth is the main theme. Marriage is simply the context. You know, you, you have people who take a vow of celibacy so they can um, focus on God, okay, and that the method there is abstinence. Or maybe they're religious hermits who use isolation to get closer to God. Well, we can use marriage for the same purpose, to grow in our service, to grow in our obedience, our character, our pursuit, and our love of God through our marriages. Unless you turn me out here, tune me out, Christ not only transforms husband and wife relationships, but he also transforms parent and child relationships. Oh, This is a tough one. Many times. Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are smiling. And the reason you're smiling and shaking your head is because you know it's true. Children, it says here, must be obedient to your parents. But folks, parents need to make that obedience as easy as possible. I mean, don't exasperate your children. Children need to be instructed, not browbeaten. They don't need to have a heavy guilt trip laid on them. They need to be loved. They need need God's grace in their life. See, Christ is the transforming power in our lives. He's the transforming power in our family relationships. But he's also the transforming power in our social relationships. Look at verse 22. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the ward of the the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality masters grant to your slaves justice and fairness knowing that you too have a master in heaven when Paul wrote this in the first century 30 to 5 to 40 percent of the people in Rome in Italy were slaves 35 percent and it was regardless, regardless of their nationality so you have people from all walks of life who were, who were slaves, who were servants, who were property, if you will. And I know that we, we, when we read this, it, it, it hurts our ears and we, we see that because of some of our own history and things. And we're, we're trying to move beyond that. But what we want here is we look at this and we see, hey, this applies to anyone who is in authority over us. And recognize this, that every single person on the face of this earth has an authority over them of some type. You have a boss. You have somebody you work for. There is, there, all of us have God the Creator who is in authority over us. And wherever we go, there are authorities over us. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you should act differently about those who are in authority over you, doing your work not as to please them, but as to please Almighty God. And see, what we lack, one of the things we lack in our society today is respect for authority. And if we do not teach our children authority... Then they won't respect the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will not respect the authority of Almighty God. Because everyone has an authority over their life. And He's saying, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you should respond differently to those in authority over you. I say this new life means a new lifestyle which begins at home and it overflows into the world around us. I mean, we don't understand where Paul's coming from in some things. And that that culture, that water that we drink tastes kind of funny. And we may think, well, that's bad. But if we put it in context of what he is speaking to, we can find application for us today. This verse teaches us that in all of our relationship with others at home, even in the workplace, should be guided by Christian principles. Let me give you just a little bit of application and then I'm done. Consider your work. Consider your work to be a prayer. The things that you do, how you you serve, the things that you do at work, consider that to be a prayer to the Lord. What would that look like if your work and the quality of your work was a prayer to God? Would it be filled with complaining and grumbling? Would it be filled with backbiting? Would it be filled with gossip? Would it be filled with the other things? He says, put away all anger, put away malice and wrath and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Put all that aside. Consider your work to be a prayer because everything that we do should make us aware of God. I mean, every job is a calling, not just us preachers. The things that you do, you do because you feel called to it. There's something there that you feel a calling at some level. And many times we get an attitude towards others. But you see this transformation that takes place in our heart should overflow onto those around us. When you work well, when you do your job with excellence, you are honoring Your Creator. You know, three hundred years ago, there was a monk named Brother Lawrence, and he wrote a fascinating little book called "Practicing the Presence of God." And in that little book, he talks about how he tried to honor God through washing dishes. See, the other monks in the monastery, they didn't want to do the dishes. And so they gave him the job that they didn't want to do. And so he figured out how he could make that time a time of him drawing closer to the Lord. And recognizing, hey, I'm serving my brothers. Even if they give me the worst job here, I'm still serving the Lord. See, he understood that we will not serve well in the big areas of life if we don't serve well in the everyday areas of life. See, our work ethic should be a witness, too. Our work ethic should be a witness. I mean, if our co-workers don't respect your work habits, they won't respect your Jesus. Your work reflects your Christian character. And these social relationships can be transformed as lives, as Christ transforms individuals. And if Christ has transformed us, there ought to be a difference in the way we live out our lives in front of others. A new life means a new relationship, a new lifestyle, which begins at home and it overflows into the world around us. So as we close, are there any of those negative actions that you need to stop doing? Some that you need to put to death, that you need to just put aside and not do those anymore? You know your thoughts. You know what comes out of your mouth. You know how you work. You know your attitude. And let me ask you, are there godly attitudes that you need to start doing, start practicing. I believe as believers in Jesus Christ, we can all do better. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. I ask, Father, that you would guide us in the things that you desire. Holy Spirit, I ask that even now, in this moment, Father, that that you would move us from where we are to where you desire us to be. And Father, that others would see a difference in us. Father, that the things that, that, that we believe we would put into our life Father, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we have received that grace from him, Father, my prayer is that we would give grace to others. Father, that we would give mercy to others. That, Father, by that they would see that we belong to you. Father, I pray that you would break our hearts for our families, for the relationships that we have with others, with our children, with our spouses, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would challenge us this morning, that you would just lay that truth on us. And Father, that you would not let up until we have decided to do what you're asking. Father, help us to be obedient to all that you ask us to do. Father, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.